everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I hope you're having a great day, not just a good day. It's Kylan's world. We're just living in it. I was going to talk about something more serious this week, but realized I just kind of wanted to gossip. I'm actually loving right now that the past couple weeks, there's been a lot of elevated discussion about Bama Rush Talk. And I want to talk about it a little bit differently from the angle we did last year in the episode, Potential New Bender. Because I I just need somebody to talk to about this. <laughs> so I hope you don't mind. I saw people talking about sorority recruitment as being this like in consuming it kind of feeling like this form of high camp, like an, a performance art piece. And I was like, God, I love that so much. And even though camp is so hard to understand per the Met Gala of it all, I thought I'd take a stab at it. So if you're confused about where I am or what mic I'm on, it's because I recorded this in my hotel bed in New York at a United club <laughs> that was not fully enclosed. Talk about camp. I, I felt like a parody of myself making an earnest plea in public in front of business people that were probably like, you know, on the phone talking about the the paradigm shift from a 10,000 foot view so they didn't boil the ocean. Most synergizing best practices are like whatever business people do. I was making an earnest plea for uh, Kylan Darnell from Bama Rush Talk fame serving as a cultural think piece and how I think I was talking about how um, her faux Chanel bedding uh, paired with her lack of acknowledgement of that and her collaboration with Marshalls serves as the ultimate showcasing of how the process of sorority recruitment really does blur the line between what is real and what is artifice. And, you know, <laughs> I just <laughs> the problem with trying to analyze this this concept of camp is that it's confusing and I'm not an authority on it, nor should I be in its purest form as I'm a straight woman who can't draw parallels from the plight of its queer origin specifically. But in this episode, we'll talk more about the postmodern adaptation of and kind of like fashion industry, uh, loose definition of camp and draw parallels, not to appropriate, but kind of for sport, because I think there is something interesting. The deep South, like, there are limitations on women. And is this a hyper-genderized performance in response to limitations that they don't even know that they're a part of? And maybe it's less camp on behalf of their performance of it and more so on our serious consumption of it because they take it so seriously. Yet we know the context of Greek life is so unserious, but now we're taking it so seriously in consumption because we see that there's a bigger point and a way to elevate the discussion that we're breathing life into it as kind of high art. And the New York times is talking about it and HBO is making a documentary about it. So there, it does, the, the camp thing does kind of add up. So this episode is just kind of me exploring that a bit, but first I wanted to kind of contextualize, like I, I did more research on the plane about Kylan and Kylan Darnell. If you look her up on TikTok, she's kind of this breakout star. There weren't as many stars of Bama rush talk this year. I gather they were told they were they were not incentivized to participate in the OOTDs the way the PNMs potential new members did last year, and there was a, a considerable more considerably more uh, present amount of content about the sisters and the existing sorority members than there were about those rushing. I think so, they must have gotten spooked out of seeming like they were there for the wrong reasons, a la The Bachelor. There's this kind of unfair thing where people think that you can't possibly have pure intentions and want to build a platform business or source of income for yourself, which I also think is something we like maybe need to drop. I feel like it's only projected onto women that we can only be successful if we're coy and unintentional. 
then there are people like Kylan that like are just, you know, not so much rushing ZTA. They're like, they've pledged QVC. It's a billboard. So, so many brands, so much unapologetic hawking of things in direct contrast to one another, you know, doing ads for dress companies, wearing a dress from another dress company for an ad she just did for that company and not even taking the time to change before doing the next ad. I mean, hustle, grind, gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss. I, I, I don't know if I'm inspired or horrified. It's, it's a little bit of everything. And, oh, I also want to talk about the dances. What's happening? Why are we taking now? It's like I'm watching DCC making the team, SEC making the team. So we're wearing a sequin fringe. We're putting on elaborate costumes and we're peacocking to the PNM during work week by way of taking your three best dancers or former cheerleaders or palm squad members out of retirement, risking an ACL tear as they resuscitate their aerial or round off back handspring on cement in the name of sisterhood. There was already an element of performance to the process of recruitment period, but now our people are performing their performances on TikTok. And I just feel so grateful in this life and in these times. You can't see me, but I'm father, son, holy spirit skirting. And I say spirit skirt because I learned that's what those sequin fringe skirts everyone is wearing are called. And they, those were not around in my time. But anyway, okay. Can we just talk about Kylan first? Not to harp on this, but I think she is... uh Again, a, a total think piece in how she's leveraging this platform, and now it's different from year one. And she is also in the, pro, the the pipeline of wanting to be Miss Teen USA. And once I deep dove this, I thought it was super interesting. Last year, it was kind of like the you know first season of Housewives or whatever. Last year, they didn't know it would take off. These young women organically posted OOTDs. People fell in love with watching this recruitment process, like a reality show, and the young women organically became influential in their own right. That's the kind of standard path to influence. Influence isn't like an influencer is not something you call yourself. It's something you become by way of being influential or you can reverse engineer it. Like the other way you can become an influencer is instead of building over time, you do something once that amasses a huge audience and then pose as an influencer by way of just having access to a lot of eyes and being able to monetize them. And that's what somebody like a Kylan's doing who already had an, a level of like clout from being a pageant, like being Miss Teen Ohio. And she didn't have like, you know, household recognition before by any stretch. She's her level of high exposure is two weeks old, but she's not a person that necessarily organically got there just through being herself she very clearly, if you go through her Instagram and stuff, has pageant coaches. She has um, a, a consultant that's just about platform expansion. She had way too many brand deals locked and loaded that she's done in the past 14 days to not have a very uh, premeditated, strategized desire to leverage this context she could fit in as a means to expand her social reach. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just a, It's just different than a person that's like there to find their bridesmaids must create a lot of skepticism amongst the sisters, but also it's so incredibly interesting to think of how in today's world you could manipulate a major life decision, like where you went to college to pursue like social media stardom, uh, the onset of your adult life. And I find that really interesting, perhaps not as interesting as how gaslit I've been feeling by Highlands in quotes, Chanel sheets. Listen, I had a please return to Turfany's typo necklace from Canal Street. Like, We've all been there. She's 18. Live your truth with fakes. <laughs> but I, it, it's like, I don't know. You would think you'd want to either double down on I have really nice shit 
or you would need to want to have like a few subtle pieces here and there and go for like the more relatable angle. But she's kind of this funny caricature that defies what I think most people trying to be an influencer would go for because she's not going for relatability. She's doing what I like to call tap dancing on the late stage of capitalism. And perhaps it's better just to be forthcoming, but we're kind of not really talking about it. So I'm like, why am I staring at this bedroom as if Chanel makes twin XL sheets? <laughs> and also, you told me your dorm room was sponsored by Marshalls. So, uh, you know, it, it, the, I'm struggling with like her picking a lane. So then I started to just like look into this further. And I'm like, it's clear that she's here to leverage this platform. And she probably is also a very nice person that wants to make lifelong friendships. You can be both. I think that anybody who wants to join a sorority is doing so for their own social capital in a sense, but also will get something, you know, of depth out of it if they're lucky. I know I did. The only thing about the Kylan brand of Bama Rush Talk is I miss the charm of last year. You know, does Kylan exhibit a similar whiplash in the distance between like price points? Yeah, absolutely. The first day it was Gucci shorts, Gucci shoes, Zara's shirt, Amazon earrings. And again, her telling us that it's not about the outfit, but it was an OOTT video. But the girls last year when there were more PNMs doing it, I mean, it was just, it was the best. It was people meticulously walking through every single bracelet in their arm party. Like, I give a damn. It's just like, we're, I just give me a high level scoop of your acquaintances. I don't need to be introduced to everyone. And more importantly, you're telling me places without context as if I should know what they are. And it started with the lore of the pants store, which we found out does sell more than pants and is actually a chain. But the best was when they were like playing hopscotch between... Cartier and Trixie's Trinkets. It's like, what is Trixie's Trinkets? You, how do we how do we go there? Where, what what does it do? Are you going to link to it, or, or why are you acting like we should know what that is? It was it was very uh, small town boutique forward in the most charming way possible. I, I remember last year, everybody was googling this company called Normal Jewelry because people were meticulously walking us through too much minutia of their daily accessories. So they just started saying, "I'm wearing the Normal Jewelry," so you could go to the last video where they named it. At one point I was relieved because somebody was like, this necklace is, is Macy's. And I was like, oh, something I've heard of. But no, it was her friend Macy's, M-A-I-S-I-E. And I couldn't figure out the methodology behind when a brand was listed, because that's the point is telling you the brand. But sometimes something that was obviously branded would just simply be identified as a Christmas present, which is about as helpful as you telling me that your t-shirt is from Panhellenic. It was just a magical time where even if only for a moment, I believe that a person who buys an Hermes cuff also would unironically walk into a store called Shop Sassy Queen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's kind of another way you could look at this as the high and low of camp. It, it, it's everything. It's giving Rodeo Drive. It's giving landfill. It's giving sincerity and youth and naivete, but it's also giving a level of self-production like we're watching The Real Housewives of Tutwiler. And in Kylan's case, she represents these constant dichotomies that are as black and white as her room decor, where she allegedly was supposed to go to Yale then switch to Bama last minute. She Her dorm room's sponsored by Marshalls, but her bed sheets are Chanel. She's supposed to come across as this like really genuine sweet person there for the right reasons, but she came locked and loaded 
with a tagline. That would be like if at every turn I opened with, hi, everybody, it's a Kate day to be alive. And it's like, relax, Travis Tritt. Like, why, why would you, a normal person, need a tagline? I have a podcast and I do end it the same way every time. But you know what I mean? It's... It's interesting. So when I looked further into this, it yeah, I mean, there is evidence and I found screenshots and posts that as recently as June, people she worked with in the pageant circuit were congratulating her on going to Yale. There's another one that's on a pageant site saying she got scholarships to both Yale and Alabama, um, but chose to go to Alabama for sports broadcasting. There's there's different stuff that says she was going to go to Yale at one point. And that's just an interesting Chanel Marshall situation. And I don't mean in terms of like, status. I mean, in terms of acceptance rate intuition, just in representing a major disparity quantitatively in those two universities in the same way there's the disparity in like price point or ideology that like I'm not connecting. Because when you think about like, you know, both great schools and you might pick one for a major concentration or whatever, but Bama's acceptance rate is 80%. And is a public university. Yale is Ivy League and has a 7% acceptance rate. Uh, it's just, they're not the same at all. So I feel pretty clear that she is there to get a platform to win Miss Teen USA. But she's also physically there and doing the thing and making the friends and making sweet videos. And yeah, like she can be doing both. I don't think it's some big conspiracy. Do I think she joined Zeta because she wanted the crown symbol? I do. Her number one goal in life is to win Miss Teen USA. She posted a journal entry from October of 2013 when she was 10 years old and her top goal was to win Miss Teen USA. She tried out for Miss Ohio Teen USA three years in a row and didn't get it. Finally did this past May. And then there are posts in June she doesn't reply to or deny about her going to Yale. And then she acknowledges in July she was a late ad to Bama because she couldn't decide between two universities. And then she enters Bama Rush Talk and in between October, August 6th and August 20th has brand deals with Marshall's Eye Candy Couture, Windsor Store, um, uh, Lily Pulitzer's South Boutique Studs, Tarte Cosmetics, Celsius, Oro App, Sweats in the City, and Beta Blondes in 14 days' time. Those contracts and approvals take time. She would have been busy all day with Rush, um, and those were clearly negotiated ahead of time. It's just clear to me she is a team of pageant coaches that told her to come locked and loaded with a tagline that told her to say things like, it's not about your outfit, but here's my outfit. Just so she, because it was charming and she seems balanced and she is very, very sweet. But yeah, between all the coaches, the platform development coach, the choosing Bama over Yale, maybe at the last minute, the volume of ads she had lined up, the predetermined tagline, the sponsored dorm room. Um, there was a weird moment too, where she responded in the third person on her account. But I actually think that that's a function of her not running her own social media because she's responsible from what I noticed for running so many accounts because of all of her local titles. Like she's allegedly the name and person behind like at Miss North Central Teen USA, at Miss Ohio Teen USA, at Miss Captivating, at Miss uh, Kylan Darnell, among other things. So I think it's pretty clear she has a team running that. And I'm sure the Miss USA organization like runs a tight social media ship. She's been doing this since she was five. She won Little Miss Portsmouth when she was five. So my what I think is Kylan's deal is I'm sure she's a very nice girl who means well and does community service and will make great friends. But I think that like an athlete who 
wanted to go D1, who was hoping to go pro. I think she's been a pageant girl since she was five. Miss Teen USA is the goal. And this is her, this is her Heisman. And her and or her team saw an opening for capitalizing on Bama Rush Talk by pivoting and going to Alabama two months before the Miss Teen USA pageant that's like nationally televised where people might be excited to see her. I don't know if the hype will help her. I don't know if there's any audience voting element. Honestly, pageants are something that's that are that I guess represent that exact juxtaposition I'm talking about where we know it's unequivocally facade in most cases, but we just accept it for what it is. And that's kind of like what I feel like she's giving. Um, Again, I don't think it's nefarious or conspiratorial. I just think like, whereas maybe other girls were warned not to do the OOTD stuff. She already had like some clout, you know, being Miss Teen Ohio USA and going to compete in Miss USA could make a chapter look good. And that might be something some chapters want. Um, if I were Nancy Drew, rather Nancy Fimeu, I might notice small details if I were a crazy person and deeped over account like I did on the plane and noticed that she did put on her bucket list about her life goals, uh, not only a suspicious amount of things she had already completed, uh, with ex- the exception of Miss Teen USA, which was at the top, which if she crossed it out, I do think she would have a complete list, which would be a charming, uh, full, uh, circle moment, um, you know, allegedly in October of 2013, when she was 10, she said that one of her life goals was to be a Giovanni It girl. And also on the list, it was go to Alabama. I had a moment of conspiracy where with the Yale thing, I was confused because she did talk about wanting to go to Alabama in 2021. And part of me was trying to figure out if she like faked a list of her bucket list to make her intention of going to Alabama seem sincere because there is one thing about her bucket list that she posted in 2021 that's suspicious to me. And that not only... They were all things she had done or was about to do with me, Miss Teen USA at the top while she was in the pipeline to compete for Miss Ohio Teen USA and hopefully set herself up to go to Miss Teen USA. She also put a goal um, that she wanted to be a Giovanni It girl. And this bucket list was allegedly written in October of 2013, as she says. But I thought the handwriting seemed like a person that was trying to have bad handwriting. And I also, you know, am not well. And did look up that the Giovanni eight girl program did not start till 2015. So that's the, that is my only gripe about all of this. And this, it's a further example of the lines blurring between what is real and what is fake. She could be strategizing sincere methods to make it seem like she's pursuing a dream and always wanted to go to Bama. She could have written 10 slash 13 at the top thinking it was from 2013, but it was October 13th of 2015. Who the hell knows? I mess up dates, facts, times. I don't know. It's like, there's so many reasons that could be besides the most far reaching one. And I do like to use Occam's razor. I just was laughing at me thinking I was just like a regular gumshoe. I was like, darling, even Louis Vuitton makes mistakes. Don't, don't dangle Giovanni in front of me and think I'm not going to deep dive. But needless to say, it's hard to like analyze these things without feeling like you're talking shit about a very kind stranger. And I don't mean to, but I mean, she is trying to develop a platform and here's a platform that's talking about her. But anyway, that was my latest uh, Kylan deep dive. In this episode, I talk about her as if I'm introducing her for the first time because I recorded this a few days ago. But now I'm going to be going back to the part I recorded in New York before I had this context. So sorry, it's a little out of order. But what I wanted to do was kind of explore a little bit more about this concept of 
this being like a high form of camp in a postmodern sense, starting with the uh, handle at the mostest. And she does these really great weekly like millennial TikTok recaps. And then she tagged somebody that said um, in regard to. Oh, it's at short house plant. She said, okay, but can we please discuss how hyper feminine sorority outfits are a form of drag? They're absolutely exaggerating their gender performance to absurd levels here. And the fact that it's happening unironically arguably just makes it even higher camp. So there's this argument for Alabama rush talk, sorority recruitment, TikTok representing camp. And I think specifically like the performance of and dress of work week and the kind of methodical performative nature of recruitment itself. And it's kind of interesting when you think about it. And while it's important to draw a clear distinction between the queer origins of camp that are very important and should have a level of sanctity to, you know, represent how, you know, marginalized groups participate in camp by way of parodying their own cultural capital and make a point through society's reaction to it. So I don't want to appropriate or suggest that the, you know, these two scenarios of uh, gendered extravagance are the same because their reasoning and origins um, are very different. I just think it's a interesting parallel and like kind of, different way to look at this in terms of cultural commentary and camp is a comical thing that is so impossible to explain. And it's almost marked more by its inability to be defined than any one definition. I think like the Met Gala chair said the whole point is that it's marked by a question mark and not a period. And like the more you try to understand camp, the more complicated it gets. So I can't explain this well. This will not be astute. I was shooting the shit from my hotel bed. So please excuse me. I don't even know what else is in this episode, but um, it was super fun to just kind of do a stream of consciousness style. That's not like over-researched. Hope it's okay. Thank you as always for coming back. You are the best and the best. And <laughs> hold on. I just got an I just got an email uh asking if I'd be interested in advertising for canned tuna. I don't know what about my energy says canned tuna, but <laughs> like what? I'm not sure I even know what albacore tuna is. I don't eat like canned tuna. Do I have canned tuna energy? Honestly, albacore sounds like cottagecore, but for Jessica Alba fans, you know, like, oh, you like the movie Honey, that's albacore. Um, interesting. Wonder if they were looking for the other Kate Kennedy, though I don't think she's any more canned tuna than I am. I don't know who is canned tuna. Interesting product to advertise on Instagram. I don't know. You, wouldn't you guys think it was fishy if I was like, you guys know I'm always talking about tuna in a can. It's like, no, you're not. I wonder what it pays. Should I look into it? Do you remember when I first started out, some company offered to pay me in beans? Like, not even a slightly more, you know, I I just, I like my perishables that are a replacement for currency to be like a smidge less shelf stable. But what are you going to do? I will say that when I was reading about um, Susan Sontag's, uh, her notes on camp, her, this is a very famous 1964 essay that kind of defined the postmodern adaptation of camp 
that, and that's why I separated it earlier because there are kind of differing ways to look at the term from its more pure origins versus the more um, like high and low brow kind of ironic, so bad it's good type of um, camp. And Time wrote in her obituary, at a time when the barriers between high and low brow were absolute, she argued for a genuine openness to the pleasures of pop culture, a love for the unnatural of artifice and exaggeration. And the best way I heard camp described that might help frame this, because I don't, I haven't listened to, to this episode yet, but I don't recall being very clear on what it meant, but I was trying to go with it because the Met Gala was so damn confusing. Like literally Carly Kloss, she, it was, she was an A-list model, like wore R&B. She just wore like a gold cocktail dress. We will never know if that is the campiest thing of all time. And she, she was on the nose or if she was like, oh, I thought it said lamp. I misread it. it it's just so, it's, it's unclear. I read something that said the ultimate camp statement is that you are not making fun of it. You're making fun out of it. And that's how I feel about talking about stuff like Bama Rush Talk. It's camp because it's serious to them and they're naive participants in the camp. So it's serious to them and their microcosm. But to us as the audience, it reads as camp because it's so serious, despite having an unserious context, that we're entertained. But simultaneously, we're taking it so seriously that we're talking about it and breathing life into it. Now the New York Times is reporting on it. So it is kind of the perfect example of camp from the audience standpoint. I feel like this kind of clicked for me when I saw somebody call Twilight bad straight camp. Um, because Twilight is a perfect example of something that was bad but didn't know it. Like Twilight, while they were making Twilight, they thought it was good. They thought they were doing something. They were naive in their participation in a campy work of art. But when it came out, the movie was so bad, but so earnest and serious in its delivery of its, you know, pretty poor quality that it was excellent. And my love for Twilight is very serious, despite me not taking it seriously. Does that make sense? So that kind of helped me understand the vibe we're going with here. And I, I think that there are so many parallels to, you know, the optics, the intensity of the themes and the dances and the, the aerials and the round off back handsprings and the choreography of recruitment and the, you know, kind of hype about the babies. Uh, everything is, is so performative. And there's an element of it that everybody knows is performative that nobody's saying, but it also is real and the relationships are real. And I know that firsthand. And it helped me frame my own personal experience because I struggle to talk about sororities ha having a lot of uh, thoughts about what they uphold and that I don't support now, but also knowing I would never take back my experience for the people that I love very much to the point where they're coming to a Shania Twain concert with me in three weeks for my birthday. Um, I love my sorority sisters and I, I wouldn't take that back whatsoever. Um, but, and, and, and I do sometimes worry that I, I'm over trivializing or over making fun of it, but it helped frame to think of the way we talk about our own experiences, kind of even in terms of us being the only ones that are allowed to poke at it. And that I both honor how seriously we took it and laugh at it. So I'm not making fun of it. I'm making fun out of it. And I love reminiscing about this stuff and experiencing it with young people now who are 
essentially at the pregame for their own life, you know? Okay, so let's let's dive into my original intent for rush hour and what I needed to get off my chest with that uh, context. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a great week. Love you. Bye. I'm sitting in a hotel bed. I'm thriving. I am in New York for book meetings. I decided to stay an extra day to do some writing. I've been writing all day. I need desperately to switch gears mentally. And I had another episode planned for this week that was more serious. I just want to gossip. <laughs> and maybe incorporate some some cultural commentary into it. But I just don't know. I, this, this is why I need you. You're the only people I can talk to about this. I'm a little late to the game, but can we just talk about Bama Rush for like a minute? And by a minute, I mean an hour. But I'm obsessed with this like, these videos I've been seeing on TikTok that kind of elevate the conversation about Bama Rush Talk. And even though I'm not qualified to have this conversation, I wanted to attempt and we'll see if we use this episode. But uh, I feel like the most relaxed I've felt in years because I got some, there was some changes to my book timeline and stuff in a good way that made me a hell of a lot less stressed. And, you know, did I make the choice to say one night that I think you guys are out here drinking way too much water. I did. I did. And I paid, I paid the price. Uh, maybe I might touch on that later because I've been reading a lot about this and it's not like a hot take or medical misinformation. There are plenty of reliable sources that say to drink when you're thirsty. And that actually, honestly, what matters is not just water itself, but the balance of like electrolytes and sodium. And, um, that's why I've done so much research on liquid IV for this reason, because it allows I didn't even bring this up for this reason, but we'll go into the ad now. Um, because I want, I don't want to drink so, I don't like feeling so full of like liquid all the time. And I like that liquid IV is like a two for one deal. And I am all about the efficiency that liquid IV brings me. That's helped me meet this goal of feeling more comfortable and the things I do to make myself feel better. I like to put one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water and know that it's hydrating me two at times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It comes in really good flavors, obviously. I got my sister into pina colada recently. As you know, I love the guava. Um, what's interesting about liquid IV, not to be like all liquid IVF, but literally during recovery, you're not even supposed to drink that much water of like the retrieval. You need a lot of electrolytes. And liquid IV was like so crucial for me feeling like a functioning human. And normally I will sing its praises for like hangovers and, you know, general hydration, but I don't know. This was another usage for it. That's not in the ad copy. I don't know if I should be saying that, but like it was um, very, very helpful in a new way that made me appreciate it all the more. It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, vitamin C. And it's made with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, which was huge for what I was advised to be ingesting. And also sports drinks sometimes you know when like you feel the grit on your teeth from just like ingesting too much sugar i just i love liquid iv for so many reasons and one of those is we love to see this number climb as they have supported us over the years and this number keeps increasing because they are on a mission to change the world for every purchase they donate a serving to someone in need to date liquid iv has donated over 24 million servings globally and you can grab your liquid iv in bulk nationwide at costco or you can get 15 percent off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code be there in five at checkout that's 15 percent off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code be there in five at liquidiv.com it may come as a surprise to you given i'm you know i do have meredith blake energy that today wanted to camp sadly no not camp walden though i could do an episode on that i could also do an episode on camp Waziata if i'm honest because 
bug juice doesn't come in a jar, comes from who you are. But uh, I wanted to talk about this like kind of elevated concept of camp in the postmodern context. The uh, outlandish performance of th- something that would normally be considered to be in bad taste to the point where it becomes high art. It's so effing confusing, but I'm obsessed with these analyses going on right now on TikTok about how Bama Rush is camp because I'm like, yeah, this is not, this is not trivial. This is not a waste of time to talk about. This is now going to be an HBO documentary. This is entering into mainstream consciousness. There was a New York Times article this week that was earnestly explaining how the hottest pair of wide band flowy shorts for Rush this year that you can buy at the pants store, which sells more than just pants, is by a brand called Queen of Sparkles, which is a real brand. I love reading people seriously discuss matters that I've lived that I look back on and just laugh at how like earnestly I did approach it. And I feel like historically we would never put much stock into analyzing this stuff, but suddenly it's being talked about seriously in a way that like is both comedic and important because I think that rush represents a microcosm of a of how alive and well the patriarchy is, especially in places like the Deep South. And I was reading an article on them.com and it was saying camp is not just about cultural taste, but a war cry, a protest made by a community claiming social and cultural spaces forcibly denied them, denied to them. Camp became part of the queer experience because it was a way for queer people spurned by society to connect in solidarity and survive injustice with humor. If you were going to be on the outside, you might as well have had an in-joke while you're there. And there's a quote that says, if my culture is making me ashamed of who I am or how I love or how I present myself, camp becomes a means to realize there are all of these cultural examples inviting me to recognize and love my shame rather than hiding it. It goes on to say, while a person or phenomenon doesn't have to be queer to be camp, camp always has a queer sensibility, one often driven by the experience of living on the margins. Well, I really thought about this. Now, listen, being a, a you know mostly white woman in Alabama, like obviously you don't represent the most systemically oppressed group. But when you think of women as a whole or in a place like Alabama where women don't have rights to their own bodily autonomy, it's interesting to think about the performance, the embellishment, the extravagance, the hyper femininity of rush of work week of sorority life almost being like somewhat of a feminist halfway house in my head. That's kind of how I frame. I don't, this probably sounds ridiculous, but that's how I frame um, some of my experiences participating in things that I genuinely enjoyed, found pleasure in, and that I want to be able to honor and claim as a very valid and important experience, even though it represented something inherently oppressive or problematic but the thing is you don't see it when you're in it. And I say a feminist halfway house because it's like I was in a system that put women in boxes. And while I was in that box, I couldn't see the outside world. So I decorated that box. I probably sponge painted the walls and like brought in a pier one papa's on chair to represent the turtle like pace of me realizing women supporting women and girl power 
you know, wasn't to be found within the walls of my sorority, within the walls of my beautiful box, rather breaking through that reference group to see what was actually going on on the outside. I kind of look back on it in a way that's like, you're put in a box and don't know it. Like, I don't think I realized the hyper-feminized space I was in wasn't necessarily empowering because it was only allowing a young woman like me to claim her power within the predefined context that society had told me I could attain it within, right? Like I had to look a certain way, act a certain way, behave a certain way, follow a certain set of rules and pay my way into being in something allegedly empowering, which is just so exclusive by nature, given that it only lets you claim that if you behave exactly how they want you to. And when you're in a box and don't know it, a box looks a lot like freedom. (laughs) And until you're on the outside of it, you both don't realize that you yourself were oppressed in your own way, but more importantly, not nearly as much as many other people who without your knowledge of the box you were in and the ones they're in, can't do anything about it. Kind of the thesis of the rose-colored glass ceiling that I was trying to explain why I didn't identify or love a lot of like self-help content, but it couldn't put my finger on why until I realized it was that kind of rah-rah sisterhood of the traveling pants store where it's like, you go girl, but it, that is has a place in, you know, helping self-esteem of the people that are in the box with you, but it's not giving you any sort of meaningful economic, political mobility. You are just decorating this space that you've already been allotted pretty enough. So it's harder to notice you're being held back. And when I say oppressed, like I, obviously I am not <laughs> like I, the, what I mean is I just grew up participating in and supporting a lot of patriarchal forces that like, I don't need to overthink all the time, but I also find interesting to think about because I think that sororities have beautiful elements of, of sisterhood and philanthropy and do all these really important things. But I also think it's fair to say that they exist in many instances for their, the value they bring to male spaces. When I think of mixers and date parties and socials and how we couldn't have alcohol in the houses, but they could. And that was like a campus sanctioned thing that made it so we would go to their houses and they would control the alcohol. And, you know, and I think that's what's interesting about this topic is depending on how you look at it, depending on what you focus on, it's really not all that deep and meant to be fun, not serious whatsoever. And I don't always feel like overthinking it. And I'm not by any means the most meaningfully uh, oppressed by this situation. I just like to, I look at it a bit differently now for what it was and almost find some sort of fascination with watching other people go through the process. Because in my mind, society's really changed a lot and moved on. And you would think younger people would be kind of aware of this, but it seems like they're just doing the exact same thing we did. And it's this weird microcosm of the world that like is still able to feign that it is not about being exclusive when it like most certainly is. 
And that's okay. I just wish that I feel like it's, it's the, you know, dorm brought to you by Marshall's ex Chanel. It's like, okay, I see what you're saying. And that's what it appears to be. But when you look a little closer, what you're doing is methodically judging people based on cursory interactions to determine if they are worthy for a sisterhood and claiming it's about things like philanthropy and grades and character when quite literally just based on the amount of time you're able to react with people, it's based on how they present. It doesn't mean you're shallow. It just means that the process is not designed to get to know somebody from the inside. If it was about getting to know people from the inside, I'm not sure we'd be out here peacocking with boas, capes, and acrobatics. It's all performance on all sides. And I just think that, I don't know if I'm making sense in explaining this, but I don't mean to say I think it's this like nefarious thing people intentionally know that they're doing. I just think the very structure of sororities is kind of this funny thing that if a sorority is going to provide a young woman a you know sense of community, a sense of empowerment, that's great. But it's within the space that society is willing to allocate to them to access that power. Because if you don't look the part, dress the part, or behave in a socially acceptable way that will make that sorority accept you, you aren't allowed to participate in their version of empowerment. So it's like that, that this paradox I obsess about where it's like, okay, does this thing that claims to provide women supporting women vibes actually doing so through acceptance, belonging, and community, or does it require a person to tirelessly modify their behavior and to stylize themselves to meet a gaze that is mostly, if not entirely, still male? Because of course, like female friendship and community and fellowship and all this stuff, like it's so important. And and if any, I, I'm the last person to want to argue for its frivolity. You know, I want people to be proud of what they like and I want women to take up space. And I don't want, I'm kind of like, how dare you make fun of us for the way we've decorated the boxes you've put us in. Um, but at the same time, I'm trying to be more conscious of finding the balance. And I do think the analysis of sorority as camp is incredibly Fascinating. Because in that context, in, you know, that town at that university, the, the, what sorority connections mean to people, it is a sense of power that suggests that, that, that you will move through the world considerably easier if you have this kind of third party affiliation, this, this co-signing of who you are, what your brand represents, what shared values you have. And in, at Alabama, what we talked talked about last year in the rush deep dive that was explains recruitment more than this episode will potential new bender. We talked about the machine that like secret society that is connected to old row and how it has a long history of not only racism, but being embedded in Alabama politics. Sororities are different down there. Um, sororities and fraternities, Greek life period is, is very different. And I don't, it pro- I don't want to sound like I'm overstating or like making this too about the patriarchy because I mean, in the deep South, it, It very much is that. What I don't totally understand about camp is like, I guess it would be more so the campy part isn't their performance because they don't know that they're doing it. They're very serious. So I guess that would mean the, the consumption of camp would be on the audience's part because we are watching people take something very seriously in an objectively unserious context but enjoying it so much that we too take it seriously and are doing, you know, elevating commentary about it like this. Uh, therefore ha- having fun with it, not making fun of it. But 
also, I wasn't sure if what people were trying to say is that they don't, they're kind of participating in naive camp because camp is either naive or deliberate. Deliberate would be the parody of self in kind of a very overt, ostentatious way. Naive camp, like Twilight, doesn't know it's camp. And in those papers I talked about from Susan Sontag, she talked about, I don't think I'm pronouncing her name right, Sontag? Uh, I'm saying it like Heidi Montag, because, you know, let's be honest, that's more within my realm of cultural commentary. But she was saying camp that does not know it's camp is the most satisfying. What I don't get is if who decides that and when it's audience and when it's like creator. Is this the dumbest conversation? I, I, I probably shouldn't have entered into I'm just trying to explore this because I think it's interesting, but like, it's, it's so hard to grasp. And I just, I don't know. I feel like I'm back on the red carpet in 2019 all over again. Just wishing it was that weird Catholic theme. That Catholic theme was awesome. It was celestial bodies. Although arguably, I guess maybe all fashion is camp because think about the people involved in fashion and how many of them have been historically ostracized and othered by religious institutions that they were celebrating through fashion. So I don't know, you guys. Um, this is above my pay grade. But I will say that I think that thinking about the art of recruitment and bumping as performance is super interesting. And the kind of way nobody's talking about that it's not actually a, a smooth, breezy social function. It's like a meticulously orchestrated and choreographed means to judge people behind their backs and rank them based on superficial criteria. But we're all acting like it's this really friendly process that it just simply isn't. I, when I tried to describe how recruitment works to you guys on past episodes, talking about bumping as the way this, those in the sorority systematically talk to and evaluate potential candidates for their sorority. Um, I think I called it an elegant form of like conversational dressage. I don't even think this is an utterly meaningless statement, but I was trying to say like, it's calculated with the intent of appearing effortless. And when you think about the performance of recruitment, and this might not make sense to anybody who hasn't done it, but like, it's this highly embellished, exaggerated, you know, form of femininity in a sense. Yes. Because you are required to dress certain ways. We had to get our outfits approved. We, you know, they tell us to wear Spanx. They tell us to get a spray tan. We had to put on makeup and look pretty. Like we were told we had to look very, very feminine in a way that now it might be different. Now people maybe just want to like look cool, whatever gaze that is. But we weren't, we weren't into, we weren't refrigerating. We weren't into the cryogenics. Like nothing was cool or chill about what we were aiming to achieve. All we cared about was being hot. All we cared about was air frying ourselves in tanning beds and or getting spray tans and meeting a very specific mid-2000s male gaze that, like I've said, we followed like ways with coincidentally T-Pain probably also as our audible navigator. <laughs> I do love buy you a drink. Um, but with bumping, so... You have to like, we had to look this certain way and I can't speak to what it's like now. It's the most methodical format of socializing that the week before is, is tirelessly practiced by the sorority. 
So before actual rush, when the potential new members go through the houses and meet the girls and they, you know, do all their like ranking, there is work week. And that's what more specifically I was talking about with, or I think TikTokers were talking about with camp in terms of they dress in a certain theme every day and put up signs on their houses and dress in, it's kind of like a high school spirit week. And the more creative the theme or aesthetically pleasing or beautiful or standout it is, it kind of brands their house a certain way that, you know, gives the sisters internal pride for what they stand for, but also shows the new members who they are through their personality, through this like alleged theme. And the themes are, I mean, there's one of my observations this year was the volume of like sparkly tinsel skirts that are just new to me. Like they're kind of something that, that do you guys know, know what I'm talking about? They're like sequin fringe mini skirts that I guess go over like a colored bike short. I, I don't know if I'm getting too granular here, but I, it's like a lot of them are wearing stuff to themed functions that obviously they're not wearing as an actual garment, but as obviously like a goofy kitschy accessory, but my eyes have now adjusted to them. So they seem normal. <laughs> then I just take a step back and be like, actually, I don't think people wear these out in the world. I looked it up online. They're called spirit skirts. And I can only liken the, the spirit skirt to the phenomenon of like, in my youth, our societal acceptance of, you know, like a toe sock, um, you know, a knee high, full Roy G. Biv striped sock with separate inserts for all 10 of your toes that you might wear during high school spirit week, maybe with like a rainbow sandal or no more like an Adidas slide, probably that you'll later exclusively wear as a shower sandal in semifungal environments when, you know, soccer forward ensembles are no longer really a thing. You know, like we, you don't know that later in life, you're not going to always want to wear umbrows. It's kind of like that, but, uh, toe socks or kind of that era of the super weird, tall, stiff felt Dr. Seuss hat. Those were everywhere. They were in mall kiosks. I had two. I talked about them. I think an episode called six pence on the poorer, but those like I, I, that is something I wish I could find somebody do a dissertation on why we were wearing, like what, what were we trying to say? Wearing cat in the hat, tall felt hats. To parties, social functions, school spirit events, bat mitzvahs. I, I just don't know what they were doing for us. Like I, it's just, it's a weird trend that seemed like, you know, established a residency in party city, so to speak, but actually didn't stand the test of time in the way that other party kitsch, like beads and glasses and like poppers and celebratory kazoo thing. It's not, what is, what is the thing called when you're like, happy birthday, it's not, a, it's not, a, I don't think it's called a celebratory kazoo. Anyway, I understand all of that, but I just don't understand what we were doing in this cat in the hat era. But the, I guess the sorority version of the cat in the hat would be Gracie Lynn and Sequin Fringe. And they're wearing these spirit skirts, beads, boas capes, you name it. It look, it honestly looks like high school spirit week. And I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm like, well, 
high school spirit week's just about institutional pride. Like it's, it's kind of a morale play, right? Like proud of what you represent, a thing you do. It's part of like human connection and community when you're a part of a similar organization. And I was trying to think, well, why is this any different with a sorority? Maybe it's just that when you're young, you don't really understand that in life outside of high school and college, you know, I don't, unless you've become a music festival gal, which is also maybe an arguably short period of your life. There, there might be something there in exploring the spirit skirt to flash hat Coachella pipeline. Gotta make a note of that. But like in adult life, you don't, you don't really wear stars on the corner of your eyes as stickers. Like you are a human vocab worksheet that you got an A plus on. You know what I mean? Uh, in a weird way, I guess a sorority would be giving you a sticker stamp of approval to your own face. But a lot of these people have stickers on their faces. And like a school pep rally or spirit week where everybody would be dressed in similar colors to signify their allegiance and celebration of the same institution, dress kind of would suggest we're all sisters, we're all community, we're all equal. There are no stars here. Yet it's abundantly clear when you watch videos to the tune of songs like this. Which is something I don't know if the kids realize is Mary J. Blige family affair. <laughs> but maybe that's the whole point because in sororities... Once you get in, you get like a big and a grand big and a great grand big and eventually, you know, a little, and then it becomes all about the fam bam. And hopefully you get a little that says things like my big is so hot. Declarate the muffins. Call me hot regularly. No, but that's something we've dealt with privately on the side. <laughs> she is coming to the Shania, Shania Twain concert with me. <laughs> so we're, we made it out. Okay. Um, but uh, it's kind of like, we're all sisters, we're all equals, but then it's abundantly clear that they they carefully, deliberately drafted shows, three to six members from the chapter that are the most talented dancers, cheerleaders, or Palm Squad members that either have technical skill or mega hot qualities that come out of retirement to risk a neck injury in the name of an elaborate tumbling pass or aerial cartwheel they have not done since high school in a display that confuses me because it, it, on the one hand, represents incredible strength and athleticism, but also I feel like it's such a spectacle in this, in the way that like, it's a type of skill that I've always been so jealous of. I have nothing against, but I've, I've told you, I wish I was a dancer. Like it's the type of pleasurable and feminine presenting skill that I've always been envious of because like it got male validation and attention. That's what I wanted in my youth. There were never guys that I liked at school being like, damn, she has a nice volleyball serve. And I did. I just could serve a hell of a floater. But I think me being a triple jumper perhaps kept me more single because nobody was interested in field sports. If any, who is the, like we know, the patron saint of field sports. It's the trunchbull. She's not exactly the the beacon of femininity. And I was always so jealous of these dancer types who have incredible skill and talent that does, should not be minimized due to its femininity, but I think it can be exploited due to how pleasant and beautiful and graceful and limber their nature seems. 
to be because in this sort of context, the dancers, the cheerleaders, the palm squad members thrive. And I argue many times in life when you're younger, people that do present as more dancery and limber often get to wear the spirit skirt in life. It just, it just is what it is. I made a TikTok about this because I just think it's so important to know that if you are in high school and you are a dancer or cheerleader or whatever, and you have some sort of dancey skill, it's imperative to know that you will thrive in a sorority. You will be the star. There's not a fucking mock rock or anchor splash or, you know, Pike Fireman's Challenge or, you know, AKO mock rock that would survive without the hard work, dedication, blood, sweat, and tears of the high school dancers, cheerleaders, and Palm Squad members carrying that sorority on their backs with meticulously choreographed dances, routines, and talent show type activities that require a high level of technical skill that that will make a sorority serve as somewhat of a VC fund in infusing social capital into the lives of your Gracie Lenz and Zequin Fringe. These routines are not for your cats in the hat. You, you are me, you are Kate behind gates, never making mat, but still expected to dress up in a goofy hat. And then I'd say in the name of sisterhood, but really I, you had to go to stuff or else you get fined. And I just, I just was running out of cash, mostly from skipping things that I found to be a total snooze. Lectures, speakers, kill me. Pancake breakfasts. What is that? The chokehold flapjacks have on the Panhellenic system. Why is it, why are there so many goddamn pancake breakfasts? Is that really the best way to fundraise? I get a bake sale, but uh, an outdoor open air griddle? Like, fun idea. Let's fundraise with comfort food by making people as uncomfortable as possible by forcing them to buy pancakes and to make them stand up while eating them. I hate eating stuff that kind of does require like an, some utensil agility, like, or a fork and a knife. And I, it's just gotta be a better way. And I just have memories of like scratching a styrofoam plate with a fork or a knife and fearing syrup leakage and attending something early in the morning outdoors, do on the grass to save my ass from like probation, from not participating all the while being given no place for it to sit. Too much do on the grass, no chairs provided. Well, there are forks and knives as if I'm some sort of magician that can elegantly eat pancakes while standing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I honestly don't even care about a pancake breakfast. I hope you know that when I do stuff like this, I'm just literally doing this for sport. It's fun to get irritated. Um, even though I don't want to be like negative, I hope you know I don't like really care. But like I kind of did. I think I just never was able to express it. I think what I wasn't saying when I was going hard on those pancake breakfasts is that when it comes to breakfast foods, I'm here for the meats, um, specifically bacon that you can't eat with your hands and standing up. And thankfully you can bring home the bacon with ButcherBox because this episode is also brought to you by ButcherBox. Incredible segue. And <laughs> I've worked with them for a long time. And I just, I really think this is a high quality product that makes sense because it's convenient. It's affordable. You can have high quality curated meat in your fridge as a source of protein for whenever you need to eat it or prepare it without having to go to the store and like get price gouged for things like grass fed beef or free range chicken, wild caught salmon, whatever it may be. I just always want to pick the sustainable, more responsible thing without feeling like that choice is being like exploited with vague labels. I'm not even sure of, 
Um, and I also, I don't know, I just like having the meat already there and buying the other accoutrements if need be. And ButcherBox packs fresh and ships frozen a curated selection of hormone and antibiotic free, among other things, um, meat to your door every month. Comes out to like less than $6 a meal. You can use one of their curated selections or choose your own. And this month, I love their deals. They're always so good. You can, like I said, bring home the bacon, literally, but also metaphorically, because they're offering free bacon for the life of your membership, which is a big deal because their bacon's awesome and $100 off to get your summer sizzling with this butcher box deal. I actually think this subscription is a really good gift, not only for a person that likes and grills a lot of meat, but also for a person that might be in a situation where they just can't, they don't have the convenience of going to the store all the time. You want them to have regular food available in their freezer and you know, you want them to have a healthy option. I just, I don't know. Obviously I use my own codes for gifts for my loved ones from my advertisers and I wouldn't lead you astray. You can sign up today at butcherbox.com slash be there in five and use code bonus 100 to get one pack of free bacon in every box for the life of your membership plus $100 off your first order. That's butcherbox.com slash be there in five and use code bonus 100 to claim this deal. I did not mean to talk about this for this long. I don't even know what just happened. What was I? Oh, I was talking about camp. I didn't realize I had so much to say. Um, Oh, I didn't talk about recruitment, but like, I actually think that there is something like more high level. I wasn't even seeing before with it being such a performance where, Oh, I was talking about work week and how it's like spirit week and everybody does these like crazy themes and it's turned into like a TikTok star search of incredibly skilled technical dancers cherry picked from their chapters that look like such babes and so talented and such like incredibly strong and athletic and impressive women wearing sparkly, shiny and or catchy or sometimes ironic or funny things. And it is kind of funny that these four to six people with a high level of technical skill and who are exhibiting such incredible talent are kind of being pushed to the front to represent the essence or brand of the sorority when there's like 200 people in back that can't even tap their head and rub their belly at the same time. (laughs) And I just think there's something funny about how it makes them look so cool, but the vast majority of the people in that chapter cannot move through life with that level of finesse like seeing these girls look so cool doing like the Nicki Minaj like I can lick it I can ride it while you slip in and slide in and I'm just like I am so deeply uncoordinated I got a concussion in college from doing beer slides like literally slipping and sliding but I couldn't even do beer slides well because I kind of like when it comes to beer slides you have to be in or out and I was kind of like nervously participating so I was so basically they would put, I think the dish soap and natty light beast, you know, pick your literal poison and on like a cement frat floor and you would run and slide. It's so fucking dangerous. And I did it one time trying to be hot and fun story of my life. I'm just not, I just wish I had been okay with not meeting either of those criteria, but instead I, I spent my college life obsessing over why I wasn't being responded to by men the way my friends were. And I just did everything in my power to try to be hotter or funner or more of a party girl. And sometimes trying it on for size would work. And I'm sure I appeared that way, but in retrospect, I was miserable. And I tried to, you know, be fun and cool. The same tune of how these people probably are licking, riding, slipping and sliding. 
but I literally slipped and slid too hard and hit the back of my head on the concrete or cement or whatever the hell it was. And I'm 99% sure I got a concussion. And I actually think that uh, there's something I haven't really like internally deep dove there with that being a serious turning point in my mental health that I like haven't really unpacked yet. Um, and I was also on that radioactive birth control as we've talked about. Yes. It made me clinically unwell. I, and I also like, you know, that thing where you take risks at your own expense and then they potentially screwed you over, but you're also way too lazy to participate in the class action lawsuit. But I have made some cash. I don't, I don't even know. Um, they definitely got sued for being terrible birth control. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't mean to make my, sometimes I feel like I'm, I probably sound annoying, not like other girls are too self-deprecating in a way that's like embellished. But I think when I look back on a lot of my experiences, especially in college and some parts of high school, I don't want to make fun of other people. Oh, one second. I thought it was housekeeping, but actually this hotel between 5.30 and 7.30, I figured out if you take your do not disturb thing off, which I normally have on, they bring a cocktail cart around and they have this like amazing spicy margaritas, so whatever. Um, ooh, so now we're having a cocktail together. This is actually kind of a funny sensation where I don't drink as a person, I don't drink a lot of cocktails uh, with the exception of like an espresso martini that I often like at the beginning of a meal. Um, and I do like margaritas, but I actually don't really drink that much tequila, especially anymore. Um, I'm a, a wine drinker and I just don't drink a ton of liquor. Um, and I haven't this summer, especially given there's like, you know, the egg freezing or embryo freezing of it all, among other things. I just haven't been drinking as much. So yeah, anyways, it's just funny because I record and talk into a mic all the time, but I don't really experience this sensation of holding a cocktail while doing so. This is exciting. Way more fun than a pancake breakfast. I just did a quick Google search. Um, and I don't know why these are so funny to me. I was like, was it just me or was there a real proliferation of like, you know, pancakes for the children type events. And if you look up like sorority pancake breakfast, the, there are a bunch of like t-shirt designs and stuff you can license or that I guess exist. And they just are making me laugh like stacks on stacks on stacks on stacks. Dried house, November 17th. Or it's like Sigma Chi and Alpha Phi house of pancakes, pancake breakfast, nothing else stacks up. But then it's like, oh, I see you Delta, Delta, Delta. They did pancakes at the disco. Little panic at the disco humor. For me, that's a win. Not a tragedy, like the next one. Alpha, Gamma, Delta, their shirt just says pancake dinner. Like, why is it a dinner? One, two, horrible wordplay. I would not attend that when right next to it, you're competing with AD Pie Hop. That is very clever. AD Pie plus IHOP. However, AD Pie Hop doubled down and did two gimmicks, which I think you really need to stick to one theme. And it says AD Pie Hop pancakes in pajamas, which is cute in a very cupcakes and cashmere way. Um, but I don't think you need both to get your point across. Now, Kappa Kappa Gamma's breakfast for babies. It's giving, you know, come dine with the crazies. I don't like grown women calling people one, simply one grade below them, babies. The tough part being a Kappa Delta AOT ladies um, was not, you know, there's this thing that happens where they phonetically spell the letter K and the letter D. 
um, it's kind of like okay being spelled okay or okay. It's K D or K A Y D E E. Now, when I, you know, pledged Kappa Delta, I didn't know what, that I was pledging to four years of being forced to witness and tolerate the spelling and usage of the word baby as B-A-Y-B-E-E. I, Catherine Kennedy, did not consent to that sort of literal and metaphorical infantilizing of human beings that are, that like, so they were probably older than me. I, I'm young for my grade which is also a funny thing I just realized I never say anymore that I used to have to say all the time because you know when you're grade and age are like a relevant thing and it really matters with milestones because I was always held back on sports teams um, and I couldn't like go to, I didn't, I wasn't 21 until I was a senior in college. I went to college when I was 17, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, the baby thing was always interesting. Um, I hope I'm not, I, I'm not allergic to fun. Can I just clarify that? Uh, it, it honestly, it's yes. Calling peers, babies, maybe, but more so than that. And I'm fine with that as a term of endearment. Um, I've stupid term of endear terms of endearment for my friends and husband that are often infantile or ridiculous, but, uh, it's what the meaning you're trying to convey. Right. But it was, this is for me, it was really the spelling kind of, of baby. <laughs> I just could, could not deal. Um, and it's like, okay, you're a grown woman who's like pre-med and your entire online footprint of your Facebook status is talking about how our babies are so hot. And like, that's just a weird sentence. Uh, waffles for wishes. Here's the thing. I support the fundraising for philanthropy. I just want to be clear. I just think the method of doing so, you should be really focused on efficacy, attendance, participation, enthusiasm in order to raise as much money possible. And I just don't know if pancakes are the way. Oh no. Well, this one says, this one's a, another Delta, Delta, Delta chapter. And they decided, uh, <laughs> you see, they decided to call the, their pancake breakfast, uh, D hop. And, uh, <laughs> that makes sense for Pi beta phi hop, but D hop <laughs> just doesn't sound good. Uh, <laughs> D hop. Why? It's just, there's no wordplay. There's no point. It just sounds like you're, you know, off somewhere with Jack's flapper, if you know what I mean. The wordplay today is so annoying. And it's because I've had a writing day and I get in these really obnoxious mindsets of um, wanting to do verbal versions of the tumbling passes that the mega hotties do in the sororities just because I start. You know, it's like, it's kind of like refining a, it's like, I have nothing to say if I'm not talking or writing, but then if I've been writing for eight hours, I'm so lost in a sea of words. Then I just start performing exercises to keep my brain sharp. <laughs> in conclusion, if there, there, I have no conclusion, but I guess I wanted to shoot the shit about the positioning of camp muse over a valid, broader feminist discussion. Um, and what I loved about the camp Instagram post too um, was like the comment section I thought was kind of interesting. Like somebody saying, I think it's one of those spaces that doesn't directly appeal to the male gaze because 
They're doing it to recruit women just for the women. And yeah, there are parts of it that are genuinely insular and for the gals only. And like, that's so beautiful and fun and we're celebrating. And that can be true. And it can also be true. The Margaret Atwood quote, somebody brought up in the comments to respond to that saying, there are no men there, but the gaze is ever present. And it, I don't know. It just, I guess it's a lens I hadn't really thought through of. It's kind of a both. And it's something that shouldn't be trivialized for being traditionally hyper-feminine, but I think it's interesting and fun and stimulating to think about what in the context of a sorority and the dressing up and doing of all this campy stuff is like its own spirit week. But when you think of what sororities represent, you know, they're, depending on the day, could make an argument for liking what you like, being allowed to exist, and the celebration of the feminine things you love. Or it could make an argument that it's not dismantling. It's quite literally the scaffolding, upholding the patriarchy because of the central gaze it honors and the exclusivity it represents that kind of reinforces constraints of, of power that aren't real meaningful power, but the kind that society is comfortable with you feeling like you think you can have. And it is this really extravagant performance of a social situation outside of work week, the week leading up where you try to like, appeal to people through how like fun and agile your chapter looks. Um, but once you get in recruitment, the thing you were practicing before was during work week was bumping and it's where you have, are assigned to a group that like the recruitment chairs kind of balance people out by perceived conversational skill level, which also in retrospect is really interesting looking back on like, was I perceived as like skillful or wearing the group down? And it, a number one, the people that lead with the PNMs, they want, they need to be really strong. They need the last person to be really strong and they'll put the people that are eh, conversationalists in the middle. And like, it's crazy how when you go through a rush, you don't realize how mechanical it is and how systematically you're being judged. And then when you learn how recruitment works as a sister, you're kind of like, oh my God, if I had known, I would have been so much more nervous and horrified. But then you also don't even realize how you're, you're being played by literally being numbered based on your conversational, you know, dexterity uh, and your general like visual and social appeal to make somebody want to join the sorority you don't, you know, like, oh, go in the basement and crunch numbers because they're good at analytics, like freaking the spreadsheets. And it's like, no, people get put in the basements or in the kitchen because they don't think they're good at socializing or there's something that they present that they don't think is desirable within their own chapter. And that's so fucked up. But also if you were in the basement or in the kitchen, that is not universally true. It's just something a lot of people wrote in about during the sorority episode. So when you're bumping, you are assigned to a group placed in an order based on your um, variety of things that have to do with your personability and number one like the number ones go get assigned to a potential new member a person rushing that comes through the door and then you go in the room and likely sit on a strategically placed throw pillow because there aren't enough chairs or the person rushing gets to sit in a chair and then they tell you to kneel so you can make eye contact and connect with them. And so you're not above them, but really you just feel like you're performing unnecessary choreography. That's hard on the knees. Like you're at mass and you talk to that person for a while. Uh, I mean, not that long, but you eventually one of 
the next person, like the next number, let's say you're one, number two in your bump group comes through and starts to organic, then knows where you are because of the place in the room you're supposed to go that you know to go to, whether it's the throw pillar or whatever. They come up to you and make it seem like they're organically starting a conversation with you by offering up a segue to make it seem natural that they're joining the conversation with the person rushing. But you, you, the number one, are eventually bumped out by the number two who goes on to talk to them themselves and they're bumped out by number three. And it goes on and on until they're, you know, one person going through recruitment is allegedly organically getting to talk to like four to six people give or take per 20 minute session that they have in the house that day. So every single potential new member is talked to by a sample size of sorority sisters that are making it seem like there is no rhyme or reason. They are just casually socializing with you. And to me, it just seemed like the most effortless, you know, friendly, I mean, hyper friendly. Cause they are so, so nice to you, even if they think you're the worst and would never let you join their sorority. They're so nice. And that's, what's really confusing for a lot of young women is like, you are, you are treated so well and you're courted and they make you feel really special. And meanwhile, you have no clue that they effing hate you. Um, and so after I felt like I was just at a cocktail party, but like without alcohol and certainly without garnishes, cause you would get fined. And yeah, you just think you're at this really, uh, smooth, natural social function, trying to find your home in a sisterhood when really you don't realize the sisterhood is being lined up, ranked in their own right, balanced by groups based on their conversational skill level, methodically are speaking to you in a timed manner. And then afterward, when you leave there, you think you crushed it and you are behind the scenes being judged by your appearance and personality, among other things, and then being immediately scored after. So those notes based on your service level interaction can be shared amongst the chapter later that night when they decide who is and isn't worthy of being in their chapter based on literally nothing to do with your character and everything to do with how you present. And when you think of how manufactured that social circumstance is, how it doesn't really look that way when you're on the other end of it, and how they're putting on such a performance in a show. And similarly, you have to perform in a way that meets the criteria of who they want to be casting. It really is this extravagant, embellished, semi-campy form of doing something way over the top that is too much, that is hyper-embellished and manufactured for the situation it's trying to simulate. And some people knowingly are doing it, and it's so good because it's bad. And some people don't even know it's happening. And to quote Susan Sontag, who wrote a really famous essay about the concept of camp, she said, camp, which knows itself to be camp, is usually less satisfying, favoring the naive version where people don't even know that they're participating. And I'm making a really weak, poorly researched argument <laughs> that I decided to undergo in the last 40 minutes that I think I've participated in both kinds where, I mean, I think at a point I didn't feel like I had a choice, but to really like play up the party girl, hot, fun, unbothered, uncomplicated. And the best way to get like a third party pre-approval of who I was as a person was to wholly identify with the values of my sorority because of that reputation I'd exuded on campus where my letters preceded me. Anyway, what's hard about <laughs> like exploring as I talk is I'm being redundant. And anyways, I was about to say you get it, but let's just establish that none of us get it. Um, 
but I don't know. It, I, I just, I guess I like the overall through line of high and low because it's what I feel watching, you know, Bama Rush content as like a consumer in their fashion choices, but also ideologically in the high of female friendship fund community and spoon fed organized recreation and socializing that I miss so deeply in life as an adult paired with the low of knowing that like it actually was a really difficult environment to be an insecure young woman existing in male spaces competing with people that I don't know I I don't need to get into my own college story but like I just I I at many points I was very much suffering from some low lows but I also had high highs and all the while I think that high and low is just part of millennial canon. I mean, think of, think of every, that, that used to be my favorite blogger headline from the early 2010s. My God, if it wasn't like new post today, denim day to night, it was like pops of color. Uh, or there was a period of time where all every, all Pinterest was all blogs were, were X number of ways to tie a scarf, which was helpful but became obsolete when we went hard for infinity scarves. Um, but I feel like we could have been like bosons. We knew how to tie so many knots. Um, but beyond, what, I, what am I talking about? Oh, bloggers, headlines. Let's backtrack. Let's backtrack up. Oh. I mean, I'm only about a third of the way through this cocktail. And I, I don't subscribe to tequila makes her clothes fall off America save a horse, ride a cowboy America, as you know, that decided it'd be really fun in country music to aggressively objectify women and, or imply like high key date rape. But tequila does make my thoughts fall off. And a big reason I try not to drink a lot of spirits is because of the weird shit. It makes me say at parties when I think I'm having a heart to heart, but the next day I'm like, mm, probably didn't need to dig that deep. Um, oh, high and low. Yeah. You know how in the early, like, Hey, day bloggers would be like, Try this fun, innovative, never before seen fashion tip. Buy some expensive things, but mix it with less expensive things. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's true. But it exists on a spectrum where it started out fun because, you know, affordable meant old navy. And pricey meant J. Crew because I'm sorry, J. Crew was expensive. I mean, it was not cheap. I actually think it's fucked up that, like, for the most part, I would go to the Williamsburg outlets and shop at the J. Crew factory. And I just feel like the blue collar metaphor, like, you know, isn't my favorite, uh, you know, being sequestered to the factory if you couldn't afford the real deal. But I, yeah, the, the, the period of time when we went really hard for Pave Link bracelets and, and, hollow plastic turquoise barnacle bobble necklaces like they were really expensive uh and then people were pairing them with chambray tops which are a versatile item but like again probably close to a hundred dollars at a j crew very different from a price point at an old navy uh but even that was like high and low but then when bloggers started really making money which good on them i would want this for my life too high and low started to be like Chanel and Zara. And it's like, okay, you just transversed like social classes in a way that it's, it's no longer relatable. Like we literally cannot interact. Like it, it's kind of like when you started, I had the reverence for you as the more experienced chief stew 
below deck to then getting to a level of income where you, you became the primary, you became the person renting the yacht for the week. I just don't want, I don't like the gaslighting ever since like Faith Hill tried to tell me that a Mississippi girl don't change her ways just because everybody knows her name. I'm like, well, Faith, if you want to die on that hill, that's fine. But you now travel on a private jet and that is different than most of the average citizen of Mississippi. And I, I know you still love your Mima and church on Sundays, but there are, there are differences in our lifestyles you, you have to address. Otherwise it's just misleading. And I, that's that I never saw myself comparing the plight of <laughs> the progression rather of bloggers, fashion choices to Faith Hill. I don't even think about nor really ever. I don't put a ton of thought into Faith Hill, but we did in the late nineties. We really did. And I also missed my entire point, which was just to say that more modern versions of the definition of camp have more to do with like the mixing of high and low culture. And similarly, I think it's fascinating that the star of Bama Rush Dog, one Kylan, someday she seems like a black mirror plant. I was texting my friend Ashley H from Girls Gotta Eat because we're both obsessed with her, that she was, that I was like, it's giving Ashley O from Black Mirror. Like it's giving it, that she is consumerism. She is a human performance in that she's a pageant person and she spent her whole life cultivating friendliness, pleasantry, and polish, hopefully in tandem with personality. But can you imagine that what you hear as a woman about how you need to remain pleasant, uncomplicated, unbothered, not ruffle feathers, all the things, at a level of uh, frequency and requirement that comes with that being your profession. And I just wonder how young women in pageants are indoctrinated to not even nurture their own reflexes, but prioritize politeness and pleasantry above all else in ways that I even feel like a person growing up in a fairly Southern area. Like I, it took me a long time to be more truthful because I was so not manner, like manners are important, but like, I didn't think I deserved to push back to speak out or to be honest, if it meant requiring that the people around me have to hold tension. I thought it was my responsibility to regulate the energy of the room and to prioritize the other person's emotions over being honest about how I felt. And it took me a while to snap out of that. And it's nothing like traumatic. It's just kind of, I don't know, a recovering shy kid thing that wanted to be polite. And I just, I'm, I don't know. I've never really deep dove pageantry and I don't even, it's almost too confusing of a a thing that is so clearly about objectification that really wants to clarify that it's way more about scholarship, education and philanthropy. And I think it can be both. I believe it. It's just not really accurate or fair to suggest it doesn't have to do with looks. But as a woman, again, like I love, I love the, the, I love fashion. I love beauty and makeup and the fanfare. And I don't, I I don't want to criticize anybody for decorating or celebrating the box they were placed in. And it's not to say that everybody within that circumstance feels oppressed by any means. It's just, I don't know how to talk about it because I don't really, I don't know. I, I don't. 
I don't want to trivialize an experience or an institution that means something to people. And I especially don't want to ever seem to be dismissing it because it's feminine and beauty oriented. But at the same time, I just, you know, I question if the women in the pipelines prepping to win these types of competitions are genuinely doing so from a place of autonomy, freedom, being themselves, wanting to be a great role model for who they are. Or are they being aggressively uh, forced to modify their behavior to meet this example of like what a woman should be rather than be an example to young women about how women can be whatever the hell they want, if that makes sense. And I know there have been like a lot of awesome people that have won the competitions and there's been a lot more diversity in recent years. And that's all so important. And trust me, I just, I don't want to always overthink it, but that's why I'm not, I don't know. I don't even know how to talk about pageants. Uh, I just can't believe how many coaches are involved that just teach you how to behave, <laughs> like how to act, how to answer basic questions. It's fascinating. But yeah, I mean, I feel like I could go on and on forever. I don't even know if I'm making sense, but there was a documentary confirmed being directed by Rachel Flight, who did the um, documentary Introducing Selma Blair uh, about Rush Week at the University of Alabama that recently concluded with more than 2,500 students rushing 19 sororities. The film was a thoughtful and compassionate portrayal of young women in 2022 as they rushed the sorority system at the University of Alabama. Flight sent a statement via Vice. Um, a representative for Vice Studios told the Times that hidden microphones are not involved in the production following rumors that surfaced on TikTok about sorority candidates that have been caught with concealed recording devices during 2022 recruitment. I did see one video of somebody that uh, tied the back of their Panhellenic shirt up with a hair tie to like make it more of a crop style and got entirely booted from Rush for wearing a wire. And she even like offered to be strip searched. She was so desperate to be like, no, I'm not. And so they must have been like spooked and sketched out. And I would have acted so weird because I'm one of those people that like, I, I'm just so scared of getting in trouble. I'll always assume I've inadvertently done something wrong. And I'll almost start, start to seem guilty to the point where if I'm sitting in an airport and a German shepherd walks by me, I will convince myself that I probably accidentally brought some sort of explosive in my backpack. And I'll like start to panic. And if you looked at me, I would look incredibly suspicious. <laughs> and like, I think for some women, maybe the social media piece seems more desirable. I mean, with the exception of, it seems like the may, the people mo that were most talked about, who I actually didn't even follow, I had to look up who were like the it people because the only person I was seeing over and over is Kylan. But it, to be fair, I was bit kind of busy and not on TikTok as much as I normally am, so I wasn't paying as much attention. But the I was looking at a, uh, an article on the Observer and it said the Observer tracked five women with the most engagement: Kylan Darnell, Grant Sykes, Grayson Edmondson, Madison Towner, and Lizzie whose account doesn't reveal her last name. Between August 6th, the first day of recruitment, and August 14th, when women received their offers to join a sorority, these creators posted 75 TikTok videos related to their recruitment, garnering 110 million views and 7.6 million likes. The most watched video received 4.9 million views and 326,000 likes at the time of this writing. Now I notice that one of Kylan's is 8.5 million. To contextualize this, one of the most watched episodes of Keeping Up with the Kardashians 
was Kim's 2011 wedding to Chris Humphreys that attracted 4.4 million viewers. And season 16's finale, one of the more highly viewed episodes at the end of the series, was seen by 2.4 million viewers. And we're talking 110 million views and ongoing and 7.6 million likes. The reach is immense. If you want to understand why, like, somebody would completely manipulate their entire collegiate experience to go do this. If you have an agenda that would benefit from a platform or want to start out your career this way, it makes sense though. I can't say as like a parent, I would actively encourage and endorse it um, over having an authentic academic experience. Uh, But this is the way of the world now. And I think that if you grew up in, you know, the South, kind of being taught that your point of entry in the Greek system is a big determiner of the rest of your life's trajectory. Um, And there's a lot of kind of the dismissal and trivializing of social media around you, which there is everywhere. Trust me, it happens to me constantly. Um, I can see people kind of that are purists about it, like wanting, you know, full old row, old money, old South, really turning up their nose at it. And it being a thing that you don't do if you want to get into one of the top houses. And I assume that's why it dissipated. Like, um, I saw a quote that said, there was speculation on TikTok that the women rushing this year would be prohibited from posting videos on the app. And a TikTok TikTok comment reviewed by the New York Times before the start of Rush, an active sister who made TikTok videos during her own recruitment process said posting would be highly discouraged. New recruits are impossible to miss on campus. Everyone wears a slightly different version of the outfits recommended by the Alabama Panhellenic Association. I think I'm still reading from the New York Times. These include shorts that aren't ripped, frayed, or too short, and nice dresses that aren't too tight. The organization's guidebook for 2022 is 111 pages long. It also suggests women wear colors that don't show sweat. I think they were trying to get a comment and (laughs) they quoted a person saying, sorry, I have to get to a party. One potential member said after lacing up a healed espadrille and running away. Another said she needed to go home quickly turning and walking in the opposite direction. One woman declined to have her hands photographed because she feared her fingernail polish might be recognized. So this is what I mean by like, can you imagine the anxiety of people thinking their whole future and their parents' approval and their future husband and career and, you know, good standing in their, you know, that, maybe not the world as we see it objectively, but their world as they know it. Can you imagine that pressure paired with this like new paranoia of who was, is or isn't wearing a wire and trying to like act normal and then hearing rumors about people getting booted and screwed for life because of a hair tie? I mean, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. But Vice swears that Um, the university, oh no, the university of Alabama said the university is aware of reports that outside parties have facilitated unauthorized recordings of our students involved in panhellenic recruitment. The university has not authorized any third party entity to film, record, or document any recruitment activities and does not allow media inside occupied buildings, such as residence halls and sorority houses. So I have no idea how you would get involved with this and not have an immense amount of anxiety, but it, it sounds like they reached out to people in the fall of 2021. So they would have had to be in high school. So there's theoretically time to strategize about how you make this look natural. And that's why I initially was all up in Kylan's alleged bucket list from when she was 10 that specifically said she wanted to go to Alabama, which is just interesting being a person from rural Ohio that I don't gather as an Alabama legacy. Um, 
I also was trying to figure out if there's a way to see if you've changed a car- carousel because you know how you can delete a photo from a carousel after it's been posted to Instagram and reorder them. Um, anyway, who the hell knows, you guys? I'm in way too deep. You guys are probably thinking, Kate, are you all right? This episode's a little weird. Uh, you know, how's the old hat rack? You recover from that college concussion? I'm not sure, honestly. I need to go check and see if I'm well, but the good news is I can do that conveniently uh, with ZocDoc. ZocDoc is the absolute best way to find a quality doctor, especially in a short period of time, especially if you haven't been to one before, if it's a specialty you need to find a provider for, and or you want to gauge the quality of care prior because they have real verified patient reviews, just like you would look on Yelp or TripAdvisor or something to go eat a casual meal. Why would we put more time into fast casual eateries than we do in our medical care? And I've, I've I use ZocDoc literally all the time. With ZocDoc, booking an appointment with a doctor that suits your needs, fits your schedule, is in your network, and in your neighborhood is easy. The best part is none of the back and forth with the phone tag or the taking of insurance. You can filter by all of that and see who is available and who already takes your insurance. And ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed and are available when you need them. You can find every specialist under the sun. And if you go to ZocDoc.com, you can find the doctor that's right for you. You can book an appointment right from the app or ZocDoc.com in-person or remote appointments that works for your schedule. And every month, millions of people use ZocDoc and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. And if you want to go to ZocDoc.com slash be there in five and download the ZocDoc app for free then start your search for a top-rated doctor today, many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash be there in five. ZocDoc.com slash be there in five. I should also clarify, I don't actually feel particularly pretentious about like people that have fake designer things. I think there's some like a level of empathy I have for like existing in a situation where you feel like that labels and brands are something that you need to have to validate your identity or worthiness in some way. And I think that system's shittier than people like buying fake bags. You know, um, I bought a pair of boots off of Mercari that I thought were Gucci, but uh, come to find out that is highly unlikely. But they look very real and I still like them and wear them. Meanwhile, I don't know enough about like I haven't examined the shoes to a level where I like really care. I just was like, you know, until I'm proven wrong, I'll just not assume I got scammed. Um but that's like, it's kind of like me looking at Kylan's Twin XL Chanel sheets. It's like, you can tell from the kerning and the font and the felt that they're homemade and it's not Chanel. But does she know that it's detectable to the eye? You know, and I feel guilty like calling that out. Um, if that's just like something she likes. And I think that's just something you kind of have to grow out of. But her entire being is is keeping up appearances. So I don't know. There's also something tough about that. And it's like, I feel kind of bad for the who's who of Marshalls. You know, like, can't you get a big old AK on a pillowcase and just rep Anne Klein the way she deserves? All she's known for is making petite watches that are on clearance at Kohl's. And I just wish her and, you know... Kenneth Cole could get the reaction that they're always hoping for to Marshalls that for the past 20 years, the chokehold they've had on the inventory at those stores doesn't seem to suggest that they're the best sellers. But I don't know. I guess one other thing that really interests me about Bama Rush Talk is feeling like the 
did I say this earlier? The edit of Gen Z pre-2020 was like Tide Pod America. 2020 to 2021, they got a pretty favorable edit for being open, inclusive, for having these personal brands online, for talking about mental health, for doing things like galvanizing the K-pop fandom to, you know, troll a Trump rally. I mean, these are sophisticated creatures. Um, and it almost will convince you for a moment that, you know, young people are collectively progressive, that things have changed since we went through the system. And I think part of my um, fascination with following along is maybe my horror at how much is exactly the same. And my fear that not only, uh, you know, as, as we've crept toward Y2K fashion coming back, I'm also like, so is it just that in some parts of the country, you know, the, the male gaze will just always be centered so long as there are serious socio-political and religious patriarchal forces in power that keep people, you know, in boxes or like, is there kind of a pendulum swinging back the other direction where we're about to enter into an era of centering hotness and defining hotness in an incredibly, uh, exclusive way that is unattainable, unhealthy and unacceptable to be promoting as the ideal. I think we, Sam and I talked a bit about this and she was kind of saying like, there will, there will always be space for pretty people, for thin people like that. It, that's never gone away. We just focus on different things, but I guess, yeah, it's hard for me to tell what's from my, what I'm seeing more of because it's my algorithm bubble versus like actual cultural trends. I actually hate that. It's feel, making me feel like I'm off the pulse because I'm only on my own pulse. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I do obsess over Y2K fashion coming back about people like talking a ton about Kim Kardashian's weight again. I'm like, I thought we weren't doing this anymore. I mean, the Y2K fashion is back. It is the same crippling insecurity and obsession with the male gaze and a need for peer approval through brands also coming back? Maybe. I ask these questions not because they matter, not because I have the answers, but because I should not be drinking a spicy margarita while recording a podcast. And also, like, I was telling Sammy in an episode, I'm like, I have noticed that there's like, I, I, I don't know, I just, it took so long for us to have uh, clothes that fit us, not clothes we had to fit into. It took so long for there to be more inclusivity on several levels with diversity, with talent, with sizing, with representation uh, in so many consumer focused industries that have countless touch points, especially with women. And I, j I get anxiety when people act like these elements of Y2K are coming back, you know, starting with back when I was like, low rise jeans just aren't about us being annoyed that fashion comes full circle. It's that those jeans not only made us whale tail all over town, they were uncomfortable, didn't fit well, only favored very specific slender silhouettes. And beyond that gave me a complex for eternity that will make me sit on a couch. God forbid it's a low rider, like a futon or lately I've been going to restaurants and I'm like eating meals on couches. Most rooftops or outdoor things are terracy vibes 
have like plush seating and I like plush seating, but I need structured seating. You cannot expect me to eat a meal that requires a utensil at an obtuse angle. I need 90 degrees or forward. If you want to be a cutie, I need an acute angle. I want to be able to lean forward into my food, into my, the person I'm speaking to. I feel like for me to get a backrest, I have to almost lay down. I need to be able to be alert. I need to be able to sit forward. I, I need to be able to bring a spoon to my mouth like I'm in a restaurant eating food I'm buying from you and not like I'm in a corduroy lazy boy in somebody's basement. As I've said before, I'll say it again, may your furniture of today be your basement basement furniture of tomorrow. There's a certain ridiculousness of making fun of basement furniture because you have a basement, congratulations. All that furniture is there that's kind of ugly because you don't need it anymore and you upgraded. And to that, I salute you. I have a basement now. No, I don't mean to brag. Um, but, and, and it does have a couch I'm no longer using, but that is the only piece of furniture in that basement. <laughs> Here's to hoping. Um, uh, that feel like, have you done a basement tour? I'm like, there's nothing to tour. It's one gray couch and a television. Wow, wow, wow. Talk about organic marketing and advertising. I wasn't even trying to do this. I actually am not even ready for an ad yet, but I'm going to do it because the reason I have a leftover couch in my basement I spent a ton of money on the couch in my basement, but I got a better couch from all form. And it is the star of my living room. It's the star of the show. It is a stunning cognac leather that they call whiskey. And it's comfortable. More importantly, it is indestructible. And my dog digs in it on the daily, as you well know. And it's become a favorite nap couch of my spouse, my sister. The leather is like a little cold in all the right ways, but it's still very comfortable. And the best part is it's modular. So people like me that move a lot, I had it as a giant sectional with like a full corner situation in my loft that needed like bigger, clunkier furniture. But now I'm in like kind of a narrow house. So I split it into two parts. And now I actually have the love seat up in the second guest room and the three seater couch in the main living area. And it's just very cool that if you're a renter with every place you move, you can have furniture that moves with you. And I just, I love that for us. And you can pick your fabric, you can pick the shape, the number of seats, the leg color. If you need to move or adapt, you can adjust the number of seats accordingly. It's super easy to assemble. They have a 100 day, 100 day risk-free trial. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund, no joke. And their aim is to create modern, well-designed furniture that will last a lifetime. And it comes with a lifetime warranty. Like, and they, they're good for it too. They're a wonderful advertiser, supporter of the show and company all around. And to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash be there in five. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for, for our listeners at allform.com slash be there in five. Step up your sofa game today and put down your other sofa in the basement. But anyway, the reason I brought that up is because now when I sit on couches, I don't I don't grab pillows and put them on my lap the way I once did in a low rise jean. And I've been sitting on so many like bar and lounge couches or rooftops or whatever, and feeling like disproportionately proud of myself that even though I am at an obtuse angle, I'm not hiding behind a pillow. And I don't know if you guys have done that your whole life, but like, I'm a, it's, it was kind of a big moment for me where I was like, I've, I should have never felt like I had to do that, but I felt really uncomfortable with how close felt sitting down because they weren't functional. And the reason I was been thinking about this a lot too, not only because I've been laying down in public inadvertently, but also because, um, you know, doing the egg retrieval and 
when you are pumped up with all those hormones, like, I don't know if you saw me post on Instagram, my body like really reacted in terms of like, you know, your ovaries grow to the size of like tennis balls or something. And, um, so it, it was swollen. I was quite swollen and my body's, you know, I'm still kind of like readjusting. I refuse to feel ashamed about that. Like I refuse to feel like I have to hide or like don't want to go out or whatever. Um, and like a long time ago, I might've felt that way. I've had to wear the same leather shorts every day. Like, I don't know if you see me, I got into a pair of jeans this week, but, um, I mean, literally could, could, could have used a pants store. I just needed pants to fit. And my, I talk, talk about sisterhood of the traveling pants. The people in my life have been like, Hey girl, um, do you need another pair of shorts? And like, yeah, but no, I, I just want to wear things that effing fit. Didn't in 2020, there was like a sisterhood of the traveling pants reboot announced. That's exciting. Alexis Bledel really goes dark for long, long periods of time. But also, like, am I as interested in what Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants looks like in our 30s? <laughs> I was, I loved the movie for the whimsy uh, romance. It could fictionally supplement for me when I was not experience that in, experiencing that in real life. And, you know, love America Ferreira, love Amber Tamblyn. No offense to them, but you are simply lying if your favorite plot lines were not Blake Lively and her soccer coach and... Lena Caligaris and Costas, Mama Meing, all over Greece. I hope for better things for the other two in this reboot. If it happens, I feel like I saw that it was happening. I just, you know, I actually think the one thing I will say where the pendulum has swung back for me is like, I'm here for escapist content now. I think I was like really demanding of wanting more relatability in 2020, especially with just like the collective hardship of society and it being maddening when you felt like certain, like people weren't experiencing what you were selfishly. You know, the word world is still going through a great deal, but I think that like when I'm scrolling in the deep, sometimes I am brought back to that early 2010s place post recession where I was living one way as a millennial and I got enamored with mommy bloggers that were like somehow wealthy, married and had kids under 25 and lived this uncomplicated you know, existence relative to mine. And I don't know if I like unhealthily idealized it, but I, at the very least was entertained by it because it represented such a departure from my reality. And I think in some ways, maybe we love Bama Rush Talk for that reason. Like, you know, the world was such a dumpster fire. We went through like a collective trauma and in 2020 uh, got to know Gen Z better, thought of them this certain way. And then in 2021 with Bama Rush Talk, we saw another side of, this younger generation that is doing the exact same stuff we all were. And I think in that it's like, we have a lot of thoughts about it, but at the same time, a lot of compassion toward them before you wrap up. Okay. Can I, I, I put this on Instagram this week and then I got myself in trouble for having some hot takes about water. Um, there is another type of influencer that I'm seeing a lot of that's in their twenties and prioritizes like a certain subset of like, wellnessy things that is giving it's like hard because I don't want to say it's toxic diet culture because of the way I'm receiving it when that's maybe not the way it's intended to be presented but it's just it again it's a fine line of did we never leave this place and I'm now just noticing it are we going back to a troubling era where the media feels like like I'm just so tired of hearing Kim Kardashian's weight loss and being like, thin is in, we're going back to YGA. I'm like, well, why are you breathing life into that statement? 
Um, but like young women like this may make me feel like nothing's ever changed. It wasn't rare. I was there and these people are too. And I hate that for them. And all the while I have empathetic toward people who feel this level of a need to like maintain their appearance as their core hobby. But I also don't really want them sharing it as normal. You know what I mean? It, it, and I'm going to play you a video. And at the end in her journal, she talks about like being unsatisfied with her body image. And there's something so like not inception, but like, so she's to earnestly share what you're doing in a day in tandem with sharing that you're unsatisfied with your body image. You're doing stuff to make yourself feel better about your body image, but the very stuff you're doing might be the toxic behavior contributing to that bad body image. So by sharing it, you're like spreading that more so than you're helping people. Actually, this is Kate from the beyond. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to put this on Patreon because I, I this episode went on for like way longer because I think that I thought I was going to cut out a bunch of rush stuff, but whatever. We'll just lean in. It wasn't a rush hour. It was a rush two hours. God bless. Sorry about that. Um, but I'm going to put the rest on Patreon because I don't know. I might use it in another episode. But basically, I talk about like the stay-at-home girlfriend trend and that almost being a form of camp where like an entire person's existence is just maintaining their appearance and I just want to know when they enjoy their appearance. Um, but also, I just, I don't know. I think that there's something, um, I also like talk about the like obsessive water drinking and then I go into a snorkel and do a very in-depth emotional analysis of that song about I need him like water, I'm wearing his boxers, I'm being a good wife, and then two other TikTok songs. And anyway, I do need time to edit that. That'll probably go up Tuesday or Wednesday. If for some godforsaken reason you want to hear more from me, if you do, I you're honestly so kind. Um, it's on patreon.com slash be there in five. Um, anyway, thank you for hanging out with me, like genuinely I'm talking about something that I wanted to explore, but didn't really, I don't know. It, this was a bit windy, but, um, I loved being in New York. I think I'm always so nostalgic when I'm there. I feel like that was kind of the start of my adult life in many ways where I struggled a lot in college when I was in a sorority and then like kind of almost found this aggressive anonymity, empowering in a way. Um, and I met my husband there and, you know, it's like when you're, you meet a guy at a country Western bar by a mechanical bullet 1am. I don't think that like 25 year old guy you drunkenly make out with in a cab on your way to get pizza is going to later be, you know, putting shots in your belly to stimulate your follicles. It's just how far we, I mean, how far we've come. What <laughs> life is, life is crazy. Um, and I mean, let's be honest when I, there's no better time to move to New York City. Like to, for me to have lived in New York City, the year Empire State of Mind came out. Are you kidding me? I love top 40 music. I love a cliche, very on the nose representation of an experience. Just as I'm sure any of you that actually hopped off the plane at LAX with a dream and a cardigan, played the shit out of Party in the USA. I played the shit out of Empire State of Mind. And, and I think in a weird way, uh, some young women maybe thrive in the context of recruitment and are genuinely having fun in their boas and capes and doing their dance routines and showcasing their spirit and community. They founded sisterhood because that's all honest and true for them. And everyone has the time of their life at different times in their life. And you'll have more than one best time in your life or you'll have the best time more than once. You know what I mean? And guys, I know I'm not analyzing camp correctly, but like never really felt like, I was fully in the sorority experience where I, I always was kind of like, eh. um, like I, 
I love the friendships, but like so much about the process and standards and I don't know, the hypocrisy and the intensity of like ritual and participation. Like it always, like there was always a part of me that never fully bought into it. And what I said earlier about that quote having to do with camp, you're not making fun of it. You're making fun out of it. And that to the practice of camping, there needs to be entirely naive or like completely premeditated. And I think in being somewhere in between, I just, I, I almost wish I had the delusion to just enjoy it. I, I almost like that if you can't get out of it, get into it energy, uh, that maybe people just really like take pride and go hard. And like, maybe I would have been better off if I wasn't a little suspicious or whatever. But I think that when I got to my phase where I felt like a sense of existential belonging to a community that would fill me with delusional spirit and pride. It was like when I moved here and then instead of being Gracie Lynn and sequin fringe, I was like, Katie turned Kate in a blazer cape. And even though Kylan says, and it's her world, we we're all just living in it. We should listen to her to, to have a great day. Not just a good day. I think at any given point in life, like some, we all know to live is a privilege to age is a privilege to quote those shirts on mall kiosks that I don't like as much as the peace frogs multiverse life is good. Sometimes life is great, but it can't always be. And like, that's okay too. <laughs> sometimes you're good, but sometimes it's great. And like, you know, it's okay to exist in the tension too, to not have the time of your life when everybody else is and um, to not force it. And like, I think that the girls that want to be at the front doing the thing belong at the front. And sometimes you take a back seat and it doesn't mean it's not a good use of your time. It won't have value eventually. And I just see my sort of experience so differently now and, you know, wish I maybe had made more fun out of it than made fun of it. And to this day, I'm still making fun of it. Uh, but I salute those of you that are able to exist with a level of presence and appreciation for where you are. While there's always a higher analysis we could be doing, um, it doesn't mean that where we're at is wrong as long as we're not hurting anybody else. I just want to enjoy the analysis. I, I, I have all the questions and none of the answers. Um, <laughs> that, that's perhaps a good way, not a great way, a reverse Kylan, um, who I feel like I keep calling Kaylin by accident uh, 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 to do things. It's, it's not the best way. It's the Beth way. We, we leave more confused than we entered. And um, that's the way I like it. <laughs> explore the gray to feel two ways, the high and low, the Chanel and the Marshalls of it all. I think it's okay to uh, embrace all of the multitudes of a particular thing we're interested in. And I love to have a thought provoking conversation along the way, if you're willing. So I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday and uh, rate and review five stars. Send to a friend, tag me on Instagram at be there in five screenshot if you're private. Cause I can't see it. Support our sponsors. In the show notes, also on my website under podcast sponsors or maybe shop. I should really go on my own website sometime. But thanks so much to ButcherBox, Liquid IV, Allform, and ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to support them to support the existence of this show. And I love you so much. I'll see you next week. As always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. <laughs>